here's here's a good head explosion. Michael just put it in the chat. I don't, you probably can't see it because it's on Facebook, but it says, "Would you guys make a pursuit on Barana if it was guaranteed guaranteed to sell fifty thousand bottles?" I can't do it. That is a good question. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. It's a it's a moral conundrum, isn't it? Well, let's ask Kenny. Kenny, Kenny would a hundred percent. Absolutely, <laughs> it was like I have no backbone, guys. Like I will fold like a house of cards. Like it's not. A I problem. would step down, and but in the back, I would be like, "All right, give me the half of that money." <laughs> this is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, here we are, our last Bourbon Community Roundtable of 2023. It's Bourbon Community Roundtable number 88. And in this one, we start off the show talking about why isn't there any blowback from required brands? We see it all the time in the craft beer world. When little guys start getting scarfed up by bigger companies, and people start dumping out their beers and saying, we don't support them anymore. Yet in the whiskey world, it just doesn't happen. And in the second half of the show, we look at back at our 2023 predictions. We talk about pricing, we talk about products, we talk about LTOs, we talk about barrel picks, we talk about everything that has happened back in 2023 of what we thought was gonna happen. And we got some of them right. And of course we got plenty of them wrong. But with that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from at Cloud9Sanch, S-A-N-C-H, on Twitter. This may have been answered before, but is there an expiration date on whiskey once it's opened? Woo! My goodness, that's a, that's a loaded question there, Sanch. I don't... I don't really know uh, how to answer that other than to say it really depends. It depends on the cork, how good that cork is fixed in there, and the type of uh, glass it is, and how you store it. I've generally not had issues with higher-end bottles uh, lasting for a long time, but I have had issues with some of the screw-top bourbons over the years. I have noticed, man, they just do not keep. Once they're open, you know, you probably need to drink those things between six months and a year. So it depends on the whether it's a screw cap, a cork, or synthetic cork. I think if you have a synthetic cork, if it's one of the really good synthetic cork makers, you're going to be fine for a while. Uh, if it's one of the cheaper ones, you're going to taste plastic probably in about a year. If it's a really good cork, and you can judge a cork by like how much how dry or uh, squishy it is. You basically don't want like a, a cork that's like, feels like it's dry and will chip off because it'll, it'll eventually break. But if a cork is, looks like it's got some like movement in it, it's like gonna expand and stuff, it's gonna maintain its uh, connection to the, to the bottle, you're in good shape. But if it's dry, feels brittle, you probably need to replace the cork. But so that, that's kind of it. The other thing too, is if it's in a plastic container, which not a lot of bourbons are in plastic containers, but those do have an expiration date. Like uh, if they if they haven't been consumed in two years, you're supposed to like throw them away. But but that's pretty much it. You know, there's not really an expiration date on it. It, it just depends on on the bottle. But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you want to be like Sanch, hit me up on Twitter. Look for my name, Fred Minnick, and uh, ask me your question. If I like it, 
I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's another fantastic episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and just Ryan here, but we also have some other members of the bourbon round table here as well, but we're gonna have a fun episode. This is always one of those episodes where we we look back at a year in review there's a lot of good things that did happen maybe some things that surprised us but we're going to look at our 2023 predictions and figure out well what went right what went wrong and ryan if i had to guess most of the things we always think of are always wrong yeah, anyway we're always wrong and you know we had an awkward meeting after the last round table and uh cut two of the members out you know so there's just uh, this <laughs> fourth, so skeleton crew but no it's crazy that this is already the end of the year where you know it's it's mind-blowing it's like time is just evaporating i don't i don't know if it's just like being in the whiskey business or something where you're just always thinking three months six months six years down the road and like i don't know or just we're all busy it's just time is evaporating it's crazy i think things are starting to pick up maybe that's why we've got 92 irons in the fire we're trying to do a bunch of marketing we got new products coming out new new different kinds of things but that's what's eating up our our minds and our time right now i'm guessing that's every day's a race and we get further behind 
and everybody's sitting there trying to get on Fred Minnick's top 100. That's that's all everybody thinks about. Yeah, right I was I was surprised at how much pushback there was for not getting on the top 100. It's like 100's a hard list with all the stuff. Like you said, we got 100 bottles that we haven't even had time to review that this year. So there's a ton of good whiskeys out there, and it's hard to make those top 100s. Which is the reason why I walked in here and I said, I'm I'm going to pour myself something. And so I grabbed the bottle off our table that we had not even opened this year. But I looked at it and I was like, holy crap. This was Breaking Bourbon's Whiskey of the Year. And we hadn't even tried it yet. So I just popped open Elijah Craig Barrel Proof C923. And I can see why, Jordan, why you picked it this year. Glad you're enjoying it. We just a fantastic, fantastic bourbon. Great. Great all around whiskey to enjoy, and I don't know, hit the right age, hit the right proof, hit the right. They just nailed it. Heaven Hill just nailed it with this bourbon. Yeah, it's it's pretty damn good. I know Ryan's probably going to come here at solid eight thirty in the morning tomorrow and be like, "All right, I got to drop, see drop the kids at seven thirty. I'll be there seven thirty five, tasting C nine two three. That's right. Way to kick off the day. Yeah, actually. And so, Jordan, go ahead and give a quick intro. <laughs> no worries. Jordan from BreakingBourbon.com. Thrilled to be here as always. I can't believe we're wrapping up another year, another great 12 months of good roundtables and, and thrilled to be talking with you guys again. A little scared to look back at some of our predictions. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. I, know. I, I got them all down. <laughs> and Brian's here with us as well. Yeah, I'm really damn happy to have made the cut. You know, we Blake, Blake might come to an end, but Jordan and I made it. Congratulations, <laughs> Jordan. Brian was sipping corn, bourbon justice, all that kind of stuff. I, I was racking my brain to remember what I predicted, and it's going to be a surprise for me because I've got short-term memory loss. So I'm eager to hear what I said and eager to hear how bad we That's got. That's what I love to hear from our attorney. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I have no, He's terrible. I have no recollection yeah. of anything. No, I, I remember <laughs> yeah. the good stuff. Plead the fifth. Yeah. All right. So I see people that are commenting in the chat already. They're putting 2024 predictions in there. So today on this show, we are not doing any 2024 predictions. We're saving that for the first episode in January. So come back in a month. You got some more time to start brainstorming. But before we start looking at a year in review, I want to start looking at another question that was brought up to us. Uh, and this is coming from uh, somebody that We've known for at least I know that Brian and I know his name's Todd Ritter. He came up with this question and it was it was one that kind of really sparked something. And I guess this will be the one that kind of finishes the year as we start thinking philosophically on, on different ideas and, and, you know, why bourbon drinkers tend to think a certain way. And I looked at it and, and he had a really good uh, kind of viewpoint on this and says, like, you know, why is it there blowback from brands that get acquired? Because if you look in craft beer, you have sometimes the little guys that get scarfed up by the bigger companies like InBev and everything like that. And there's always a great deal of blowback. He says he remembers seeing pictures of people that were pouring wicked weed down uh, down the drain because they got purchased. So why is bourbon getting a pass? We're starting to see more and more smaller companies. You had Sagamore, you had Penelope, you've had a lot of different acquisitions this year. Uh, Wilderness Trail. I mean, we could keep going. Blue Run. And a lot of these are getting picked up by bigger companies. However, there's no blowback. And so we'll kind of take it from there and trying to figure out, well, what's the mindset of a bourbon consumer? Why would they not look at it and think like, oh, well, you know, now they're just going to get all corporate. Like they're going to go too big. 
you know, we'll, let's let's kind of get some of your initial takes into it, and we'll we'll dive in from there. All right, man, that's yeah. a great thought. You know, I think there are two different consumers. You know, the craft beer. I would have to say, you know, and, and I could be totally wrong. If I had to say, a craft beer enthusiast or drinker is different from a a whiskey enthusiast, and what I mean by that is, and and I don't mean this politically, like. To me, like a craft beer, like like crazy geek person is probably tends to lean more on the kind of like liberal, artsy, passionate side, whereas probably a whiskey consumer tends to be more conservative, you know, kind of traditional loves big legacy brands history. And so like when a craft beer who's embraced by, you know, these kind of creative types and, you know, looking for the next new thing and this and that, as soon as it gets gobbled up by a corporation you know that's like a punch to their soul you know that's like they they don't you know that just doesn't align with their values where you know if you look at a whiskey consumer they they tend to like follow the herd and really like to be like more i guess of a they like to feel safe when purchasing they love history they love legacy they love the bigger distilleries because of what they provide and as far as like age products quality and so I think there's just a different mindset with each with those different groups of consumers. And I think, you know, if you take Penelope, for instance, right, right off the bat, they were bought out and, you know, the whiskey, the the age statements got higher. They had access to Kentucky stocks. You know, the product immediately got better, you know, right off the bat. And I think that's as if you're a Penelope fan, that's a good thing. You know, whereas probably a craft beer, you know, they they try to probably want to dumb it down and make it more palatable to more more mass consumers and so it kind of loses the soul of it and so whereas whiskey consumers want it to taste like everything else on the market i guess i don't know that's just kind of how i was looking at it when when you brought up this question well a lot of times that does happen in beer because they want to take a recipe but put it to better efficiencies so they'll put it to other contract breweries or other larger breweries that they have inside their portfolio to then take it to a larger market and therefore they lose that quality control or they lose maybe whatever that essence is of the craft beer when they're trying to put it out there versus something that's small local and and something like that maybe that's what you're you're trying well, to too, it's like you know with a distilled spirits you know and you're and I, I preach on this all the time and this doesn't the craft distilleries are obviously different and it's a whole different thing but pretty much when you it, it's a you're, you're distilling a commodity and you're le- letting it put in the barrel you have mash bills that are very similar you know but you're, you're really depending on a lot of aging maturation warehouses this and that to get that final product and so if you take for instance a smaller craft brand you're going to be able to refine it better whereas craft beer is definitely more like just kind of artful i guess it's more artsy than there's just more of a creative process i guess with craft beer and so i think that appeals to you know a certain type of consumer that when it gets bought out it loses that but i don't know that that's just where my head goes it's Fantastic question. And it's almost, you know, going to Ryan's point a little bit, it's almost, a, it is definitely the mindset of the crowd that is after craft beer and the crowd that's after whiskey, especially non major distillery whiskey, right? You sell a craft beer, you're a sellout. 
you sell you sell your distillery and you're in whiskey you made the american dream and it's kind of it's kind of goes back to that point right i think people kind of view craft beer just like ryan said they're artisans they're small they can they can envision themselves doing this in their own garage or basement or whatever right you build a whiskey distillery that's like you know all right you did it you made the american dream you're selling it for you know millions or hundreds of millions of dollars and they're rooting for you to do it and it goes a little bit too there's so many craft distilleries all over america right think of any given city any given town there's a few usually a few breweries with distilleries, there's usually one maybe outside of Kentucky, right? You go to a city, maybe there's one or two. So you're not only rooting for your local quote-unquote home team, but you might be rooting for your favorite city to go big and sell out and then have other people have access to it. But it really goes down to it's it's just two different consumers, two different mindsets, two different ways of viewing it. One's viewing it very much as a, a business and, and congratulations on your winnings and you've made it. Others are viewing it as an art. I don't really think too many people are looking at whiskey distillers and calling them artists per se in the sense that they might with like a brewmaster or something like that that's a fair point it this you know i didn't think of this of that point at all and it makes a lot of sense to me i mean i was more thinking along the lines of you've got more access if you're penelope you've you've built in your access to your whiskey and so you can get more of it and that's why there's no blowback but i hadn't even considered this but i think you guys are right on point about it I, I don't know what goes into the mindset of the craft beer folks but you're absolutely right it's it's like a band when you're you know alternative or whatever they call it now and you go mainstream and everybody suddenly hates you it's it's the same idea but you don't see that it's it's i'm trying to think of a single example where there was blowback on a purchased whiskey and there's really not, but, but some, but on the other hand, some just kind of disappear and kind of lose their relevancy once they're bought. And some of that is intentional by the acquiring distillery. They, they just kind of want to absorb it and consume it and make it one in the same. And that, that part is sad that that is happening in, in the whiskey business. And I wish we could keep some of the local differences and in, in what you get from some of these craft brands. Yeah. I, I think this is, it, you all hit on some really good points and Ryan, you probably really touched on maybe the really just the consumer mindset and just the different type of consumer there is uh, when you look at this, but you know, Penelope, I think is a real corner case when it comes to this, because that was a brand that was purchased for a particular Avenue because that brand was already using their whiskey. That is not a very common type of acquisition you know blue run was purchased to kind of fit a niche into a company that is just now starting to get into whiskey you know the campari wilderness trail that's a whole different other animal there to try to figure out how that works but at the end of the day i think the only people that maybe even might have some sort of blowback when it comes to this and what i've seen is of course a distributors because when that does happen and a company gets purchased so let's take Wilderness Trail for perfect example. Wilderness Trail, they already had a bunch of distributors, nationwide distributor network. When Campari buys them, what does Campari do? They cut off all of their current distributors and make them consolidate into Campari's distributor network, right? So in regards of that layer, distributors, they get really kind of screwed. And that's why you see a lot of distributors now are requiring 
contracts, uh, multi-year contracts. And if you want to get out of it, you've got to pay a bunch of money to get out of it as well. The other side of things is the retailers. Retailers end up getting screwed too, because if you are with a particular distributor or anything like that, well, you've already purchased X amount of whatever, and now it comes time for allocation season. And all of a sudden, you don't get the barrels that you were requested. You don't get anything else that you might have been lined up for. So I, I think that we miss that from a consumer standpoint. But there is there's other tiers or other people that are affected by this. And that's just a business decision. Um, it's not a, you know, we're not going to drink this brand because it doesn't stand for what we want anymore. But we do see that from like a B2B standpoint, too. Yeah. And I think the fascinating thing is, is like, and, and I think it goes back to our topic we talked about two or three months ago. It's like, it, it's like in no other like market is the connoisseur like that acceptable of the mass market products, <laughs> and in whiskey that's just the case. And so when when a you know a small craft boutique brand gets bought up, uh, that's what the consumers already love. But like you know if Miller Lite buys, I mean, I love Miller Lite, but most, I, I would think craft beer drinkers would think Miller Lite's trash. And when their beloved brand gets bought up to them, they're like, oh no, it's going to turn into trash. But whiskey consume, whiskey aficionados or enthusiasts really love the big six brands, you know, for a lot of reasons. And that's, so they're, com I think they're more comfortable with it that like, it's okay. It's a safe place for this to go. The, the, the quality is going to be matched or exceeded but like as brian said there's been several that have been bought and they've either a took that model and tried to make it into something it shouldn't have been and you know like i'm thinking of like kentucky owl for instance it's just got turned into this way overpriced really expensive you know thing which i mean dixon kind of had that but it wasn't that egregious of pricing and it was small really quality batches and then they just try to they bastardize it by making it so many bottles so many big releases and push the price limits to 400 600 000 bottle and then now that brand's almost come kind of irrelevant and which is sad because it has such a cool story and cool legacy behind it but yeah it's just that a whiskey consumer is so different from any other like passionate enthusiast market it's it's different now, on the Wilderness Trail, though, that might be an outlier because, and, and as Kenny said, it's kind of its own situation. I think a lot of people were probably rooting for Wilderness Trail to be, be, make it a big seven in, instead of getting acquired. Now, more power to Pat and Shane. I mean, love what this does for them and everybody else who was able to get, get paid off of this. But God, they were doing some great stuff and they really, really could have made it a big seven. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I mean, I look at this and it's it is interesting from a consumer standpoint, and I'm glad we touched on a lot of that. You know, the other thing I also want to look at from the consumer side is just, you know, there's there's never a blowback. There's never a, a concern for quality. And I think that's one of the things that I'm I always look at is because you know, we talked about beer going into larger brew houses and being contracted out. Now, when you go into a, a larger company, you know, a lot of the stuff is going to get outsourced, whether it's the blending, whether it's the marketing, whether it's distribution. And so that is, you know, we'll try to figure out what's going to happen. But I mean, you're right right now, I think Stoli and Kentucky Owl might be the only kind of relevant case right now that we see of, of things that just didn't go according to plan or considering 
what we've seen other companies that get acquired and sort of what their trajectory looked like as well. But and like I said, that's the only kind of thing I can think of at this time. But there's still hope for a roller coaster. So well, I don't know. I mean, pyramid seems like that's a win for consumers. Pier- pyramids, <laughs> pyramids and roller coasters. They could I mean, be. What more do you need? What more do you need? It could of? happen. It could happen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and let's change gears now. And let's kind of look back at 2023. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. All right, well, let's go ahead and let's change gears now and let's kind of look back at 2023. So there was a lot of good stuff that came out of this group and and a lot of things. And we've got about, I think, five or six different subjects to kind of touch on, you know, who's going to get acquired, what sort of like products might be released. But the first one we kind of look at is pricing. So in the last time we did this, Blake and Eric were kind of on the same page that pricing was still going to go out of control that bourbon's not going to slow down. Prices are continue to jack up and there's going to be more hundred bottles on the shelf. And Eric even went further to say that there's even going to be a huger expansion in the ultra premium category, where there's going to be more bourbons that are going to hit that $500 plus category. Whereas on the other side, Brian looked at it and said that he thinks prices are going to stabilize more in 2023. So I don't know. I, I think this is kind of going both ways here. I think we've we've definitely seen a softening of the market, which we'll, we'll kind of get to here in a little bit too. But in regards of just pricing, there's still people that are pushing the envelope. I mean, Rabbit Hole just came out with Ambarana for a thousand dollars. You know, those are that's a very kind of one old just came out with a six hundred dollar eighteen year or whatever it was five hundred dollar, which normally that was like a what a seventy five dollar bottle or something, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, they just did all those private picks three years ago for. 50 bucks for a f- yep. 15 to 17 year old yep. whiskey. Yeah. Let's see. Eric just said he bought $175 Knob Creek 
at Trader Joe's today. So I, I guess we can see that pricing is still going a little high, but I think that's because there definitely still needs to be something that hits that button for ultra premium. If people are looking for something that is that, dear Lord, how many times we've we talked about this for the past six years, we've had the show and talking to Breaking Bourbon is how many often you get a, the email that says, I need a $250 bottle to buy my boss. So it has to exist. And I think people just need to continue to build that. And, and it's going to happen in every single portfolio. It's Yeah, you're exactly right, Kenny. So now's the time of year when we start getting all those emails and messages on social media saying, need to buy a gift. What do you recommend for X price point? X price point's high. You know, so yeah, we did. We reviewed the most number of $500 plus bur- or $500 bourbons or more that we've ever touched, right? Now, was it a ton in the grand scheme of things? No. Was it more than years past? Yeah. And you know, it, it's funny. Those get the most the most blowback by consumers. We get the most amount of emails where people are really pissed off. We get the most amount of messages where people are really pissed off that they can't believe brands are charging $500, right? Why would they do that? And when you think about it, those releases, they're actually really small. So I'm not sure if it's the fact that they're priced what they are. People are upset that they can't get their hands on it, but but they're not meant for everyone. And you know, and we say this often, not all bourbon's for everyone either. It's okay. Am I going to go out personally and go buy a $500 bottle of bourbon? No, because I know there's fantastic bottles out there for way, way less. But for some folks, that's a, that's a necessary thing, right? So the market's definitely being tested. I mean, you notice some brands doing it too. Look at Barrel, right? Their goal, their golden gray labels slash the prices the last uh, few weeks, right? They almost cut in half. Fantastic. They're still very expensive. And a lot of consumers say, well, that's way still too much money, but way less than they used to be. But other brands are pushing the envelope nonstop. And you see $500 being that, all right, this is starting to feel like you know the premium category, uh, ultra premium category. I think we'll continue to see that trend next year. It's not going to be all brands are jumping to it, but I think all brands are realizing we probably need some sort of ultra premium product that's you know priced where it is that when consumers need that you know that special bottle because they just need to buy on price like they would typically for scotch or a bottle of wine or something else it's available to them because they're just leaving money on the table if they don't have it right wrong or indifferent not saying i like it but it makes a lot of sense why they're doing it yeah and prices did increase on ltos this year like we can't deny that i mean there were some good comments in the chat you know the will it eight year black bottle that came out three hundred dollars on the shelf wild turkey generations five hundred the Four Roses limited edition, I think that was what, 185. I think Old Forester birthday bourbon was pushing to 175 this year. So you just see just the LTO category starting to grow as well. Yeah. So I I figured I'd I'd lose my prediction to Eric immediately on this just based on the stupid Eagle Rare, let alone all these other ones that you guys have mentioned. Not um, about Eagle Rare. Dude. Yeah, I mean, it's Talk like, about that one. Yeah, I know. So I, I'm just I'm just taking body punches left and right. So my maybe my saving grace is that the the Four Roses single barrel selections, things like Rare Breed, Old Forester, 1920, Four Roses small batch select, those kinds of things. It, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. Those things have held steady. And if you're in the market for those, maybe we've stabilized and maybe there's maybe we're looking for the next, you know, really expensive one, but some really good, solid bourbons that arguably are going to be better. You know, just look at Breaking's conclusion for Whiskey of the Year. Whiskeys that are going to be better than all those other ones combined are sort of kind of stabilized. But really, I'm reaching and I, I give this one to Eric. 
yeah, it's definitely been a weird year because you got, you know, it seems like people are either trading down or they're spending top dollar, you know, and they're kind of like the 75 or anything like in that 100 to $150 getting or $200 getting crushed right now. I mean, they're not moving whatsoever. And, but, you know, if you're in a position where you're 75 and less, you're in a good spot. If you're ultra premium and you have a good LTO, they seem to be doing okay. But that one to $200 mark is like somewhere, somehow is now the middle and, and nobody wants to be in that middle ground because you can find, as you know, Jordan said, you can find fantastic stuff, sub $80 and you find amazing stuff at those higher premiums, but that hundred to 200, you're like, maybe it's just not worth it these days, you know? And I think, you know, it's like the consumer, we're coming off those pandemic years where everybody just bought so much stuff and they're just having to clear what's on their shelves. Stores are having to destock. The distributors are trying to destock. You got consumers trying to destock, you know, at their house. So there's just, and you got interest rates that are higher, economic, economic uncertainty. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. And we'll talk about it probably the next one, but the pricing, I see, yeah, the LTO is probably going up, but I see probably, things in the 100 to 200 and less maybe drop down. I guess we didn't talk, you know, we maybe should have made a 2023 prediction on 2024, but looking forward to that Pursuit Spirit $500 bottle releasing. So let us know when that happens. Well, don't you worry. You'll be the first one to get a thimble of a sample. Send you a thimble. We're going we're to send it to you as the uh, in the third batch of the year to make sure that, it, you know, it's not going to be in the very beginning, so you're going to forget about it, but it's going to be closer there. to the end. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, this was, you, you did see this happen this year. I mean, there's a lot of talk in the chat. A lot of people talked about even Henry McKenna, uh, which, which was a $35 bottle, now pretty much $70 across the board. I still think 10 years old, is it a great deal? Eyes in the, you know, the beholder, depending on what your, your wallet looks like. But I do think now, is a little bit more accessible because of the higher price point. A lot of people are passing on it because of that, but it still moves quite well. So I think you see that in regards of just the the market and the pricing catching up with the demand and really kind of finding that that happy middle and that sweet spot. But you're right, there's other brands that are that are really trying to that they're kind of struggling in in their price point and trying to figure out whether they need to cut prices and then nobody's nobody's trying to raise prices as much anymore but a lot of brands are looking at it because there is a lot of competition like this was definitely the year of competition that i think that we've seen more whiskey come on the market than anything else and that kind of goes into the next prediction sorry prediction that was actually coming from brian and this was hitting on the potential g word here right the glut and so his prediction said that there was a big increase in production about six to seven years ago, talking about how the stills behind Maker's Mark that you really didn't see were, were pumping out a lot of liquid uh, in, in addition to a lot of other things as well. But there has been zero progress on opening up India and China. And really, now that we're starting to even see going into next year with the potential tariffs that they're, they're probably going to get okayed, but you know, there's there's... There's always that looming. So he said 2023 could be the first year of a true glut. So in regards to that, I think he might be hitting on something here. I'm, I'm going to give you a half point of credit on this one because we definitely have seen a, a year where people pulled back. I have been to Total Wine. I have been to Liquor Barn. I have been to Specs. I have been to Benny's. I've seen these places 
there's more whiskey than I've ever seen in my life. The amount of choices that anybody has is asinine. And they're coming from brands left and right. And they're coming from a lot of brands that I've never even heard of and labels that I walk by and I'm going like, where the hell did this come from? So did we hit the first year of the glut? Well, I'll take that half point and I'll point to the news that came out, I think last week or maybe 10 days ago about Brown Foreman stock and MGP. You know, they're, they're lowering projections or forecasts and the, the stock price is going down. And I've, I've heard rumblings at Jim Beam that they may have to cut labor. They might cut still time down because they've been producing so much and have maybe produced too much. So it may not have been a 2023 result, but I think we are seeing the signs. So I'll, I'll take that half point. Yes, very true. And I think that's one of the good things of having the, the open market and the stock market is that those earnings have to come out and people get an idea of actually what's happening. And yes, those, those brands have taken a pretty big hit. So not to you know, wish anything upon anybody else, but, you know, regards of just people's jobs and stuff like that, I hope, you know, everything can recover. Uh, we are seeing what, when we talk to, Ryan and I, we talk to distributors at least once a week and, and you know, we're, and, and as Don actually put in the chat that most brands, most major brands are seeing around a seven to 10% decrease this year. And they look at it and they say, this is just a market correction. This is kind of getting back into what we had seen a little bit pre-COVID. And we're going to, it's, it's going to have to go down. Like we couldn't have been on that rocket ship forever. So we'll kind of see what the next year plays into this because everybody was down this year. There's going to have to be some re strategy, rethinking of what is your product portfolio look like? What is the consumer buying? What is the consumer staying away from and, and everything like that too? Yeah. I, I think it's more of a correction than a glut because like I talked to you, you had the 2021 and 2020 and 2021 were the pandemic years. People were consuming massive amounts of alcohol at home. And then 2022, people started, I think they rode the wave of the on-premise. People are going back to restaurants and bars, going out to eat, getting cocktails again. So that kind of pushed them through to keep the numbers going. And then it just kind of hit a point where they're like, all right, we bought enough. And I think it's just a correction of the, of the pandemic years. And, you know, it, like you said, we're, you know, right on track for like 2018, 2019 numbers, which, in, you know, if you looked at 2019, 2018 to 2015, 2016, you know, they're, they, they were growing at, you know, probably five, 6%, which is probably a natural, you know, growth curve for, you know, and actually a really good one. You know, most time these companies are thrilled to be at a one or 2% growth per year. And so I think, you know, we just had those, you know, easy streets for three years in the the brown spirits category and all all spirits or really. And it's just kind of an auto correction. And, you know, it's just human like psychology and it, it, the animal spirits, you know, when times are good, they think everything's going to stay the same. And when times are bad, they think the world's going to end. And it's, you know, it just plays itself out over time, whereas, you know, people just need to play the long game. But, you know, it's definitely that boomer bust mentality that we have as as humans and, and consumers. All right. Well, quick time out. We got to add in somebody who's uh, coming to you live from the urinals here at Disney. 
<laughs> I heard we were talking about all of my correct predictions for 2023. So I wanted to jump in really quick <laughs> and make sure that I got credit where credit was due. Looks like you're in witness protection right now, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> See, we'll adjust the lighting. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, you know, really good topics. I, I hated to, uh, to miss this one, but also apparently the kids have to get their Disney in. So. Uh, always uh, had to do my annual check-in from from Orlando. Did anybody have any correct predictions is my biggest question. My, my prediction is you would show up today, so I win. <laughs> okay. Did, did we not even get that far in the questions tonight is the real question. Uh, we've, we got one here coming up in a second that you're going to be a, a good part of. But um, the other one I, I kind of want to bring up real quick was the one that our buddy – Redbird over here brought up, and he said, "Isn't the glut more about the four to six year old bourbon? I don't think there's a glut of eight plus right now. I mean, you look at Four Roses, Single Barrel, and Russell's Reserve. Like that sells pretty well, but you know, when you think of four to six year bourbon, I mean, I think of pretty much a lot of the stuff that's in that mid tier, all that five year MGP that flooded the market. There's a lot of it. Yeah, that's fair. I think, I think, yeah, there doesn't seem to be." A glut, you know, like, you know, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof or Elijah Craig Store Picks or Russell's or, I, yeah, you're, you're totally right. And there's definitely whiskey in that, that younger range that's just, yeah, just sitting right now for sure. Whereas those pandemic years, everybody's willing to buy and try everything. You know, though, that might, it might not necessarily be a horrible thing. It might open up a whole new route of new, new brands that pop up over the coming years that are able to buy kentucky whiskey right i mean for so long it was out oh, it's another new stores brand and it's from indiana or tennessee right and i think that might really invigorate some folks to take a shot and say hey i'm going to create a brand doing something and you know we're just going to source from kentucky because now we can actually get some whiskey i'm going to start aging it myself or stuff like that so you know not not great for the overall industry in the very micro short term but in the long term i think this will actually drive some innovation and be pretty good yeah kind of a not a counterpoint point on that but I I'll say I, I do think there is a lot more aged whiskey out there than we probably think. I think there's big companies and just even some of these, you know, investment groups that are sitting on whiskey that's getting a lot older and starting to get past that four to six year old age range. I think we'll start to see on the market. But overall, I think that's a win for the customer, you know, kind of to Jordan's point of if more and more brands are going to start putting their kind of what they do on aged Kentucky whiskey, like I think that's a win all around. So I think, you know, it'll be a little bit surprising over the next couple of years of what pops up from NDPs. But at the end of the day, I think that's, that's good for everyone. Yep. And that kind of plays into our next prediction that Blake and I both had last year was that there was going to be a screeching halt on the amount of barrel picks that were rolling out. We had seen so many mid-tier picks that had come out and the market really got flooded. And I think Blake can really speak to this a lot because he's been somebody that has to be a retailer for a lot of this. So there's a lot of that stuff that's kind of hits, even at a cash drink, but it still kind of hits that that sort of mid-tier point. There was just so many of them. There is a plethora of things going on. I mean, I've even heard that there are some other retailers that have basically put the kibosh on all 2024 picks until they get through a good percentage of what they have in store in 2023. And so it's not going to be for things like Four Roses Small Batch. It's not going to be for Willett or Elijah Craig Barrel Proof or Russell's. It's definitely going to be 
for those mid-tier picks. And, and we've even seen it in our own community inside of Bourbon Pursuit. I mean, we slowed down a lot. Uh, I think we made this prediction or I made this prediction last year because we kind of saw this at the end of 2022. People just kind of slowed down. They just weren't buying. People weren't interested in it as much anymore. There was just so much that was out there. And one of the things we talked about last year was how in 2022, you know, Ryan talked about it all the time years ago. We said, what were the unicorns? What are everybody chasing after? Well, don't chase after unicorns. Chase after single barrel picks. Like those are the unicorns. But now there's a unicorn on every left corner at every single store. So it's no longer special uh, considering of what it once was. So we definitely saw those take a, a huge hit here in 2023. Yeah, I'll jump in a little bit on that one where I, I think and kind of the part of what I love about the bourbon community is for better or worse, everybody's on to the next thing. You know, they're always looking for what's new, exciting. You know, I think, Jordan, we've probably seen it with some of y'all's picks this year where it's like one where I'm like, hold on, what is this? And when it's like, oh, you know, Dragon's Milch, people go crazy for or Fred had one from Jay Riker. And it's like people went crazy for it. So for better or worse, people are always looking for that new and exciting pick. But just to go do six picks from the same distillery and brand, unfortunately, can be tough at times which you know i hate it because it's not like it's bad whiskey or something's gotten worse about it nothing like that but you know it's it's kind of like you got to always be working to what's new and up and coming and and next and that's what people want to try because at the end of the day as much as i love new riff bourbon do i need seven picks from them on my shelf i don't know probably not i may want to go buy something new after that so yeah, we definitely saw that with Knob Creek this year, too. I, I think Knob Creek numbers were in a, in a little bit different way. You just you saw them everywhere. I don't think there's anybody that couldn't get a Knob Creek pick. So um, that was one of the other brands we kind of saw slow down. And it kind of ties hand in hand, too. It's just not people being oversaturated. But and I'm sure you have seen it. I'm sure people listening have seen it, too. Better or for worse, like single barrel sticker game was a thing. And it was a huge thing that drove a lot of the craziness, right? People, it was a, like the sticker was the thing to get. People wanted the bottle because they had the sticker. I feel like throughout 2023, it's really waned and people just don't care about stickers anymore. They just don't. They don't care what the bottle's name. They don't care what the sticker is. They just care about the bourbon and that's it. And uh, they don't need the, you know, their their 10th starlight because it has a fun name or a fun sticker they just don't need 10 starlights so they're just not going to get a sticker be damned and so you started seeing a lot of clubs kind of decline on that too and i think the i don't know call it collectability whatever you want right you take out that aspect a little bit and some common sense comes in for some folks and it's less about getting them all and more about like blake said trying something that you probably wouldn't be able to get unless you were in one of these clubs then it becomes okay this is cool but that's a good thing though it's a good thing the sticker game kind of took a backseat i'm not complaining about that one bit trust me I was going to say, I don't think anybody on this round table is going to be real upset. Stickers have started. Nope. And there's, <laughs> there's people here on, on the chat. I know personally have, have derided stickers. So there's, there's actually a backlash against stickers. So I like the pendulum swinging that way. Single barrels, you know, were kind of that formula, you know, for success. And it's like, you know, then this year was kind of felt like the year, kind of the, the finish, where finishes were really widely accepted and, you know, sought after and tried by folks. And I, I think I kind of see maybe a slight fatigue in that. And it's like, as a producer and like brands, you just got to be like, what the hell do you do? <laughs> you know, like, how do you satisfy con consumer demand? And then, then you go out and you, you meet people in the market and 
we're kind of in a box because we're, you know, the 1% of whiskey as Kenny always says. And most consumers just want something that's affordable, tastes good and looks cool. And that's, that's what they want. And, you know, and I think there's going to be a trend going back to like what I thought bourbon, you know, well, I liked it was because it was accessible, affordable and cool. <laughs> and maybe there's a trend that that's going to be the, the, the future. Yeah, I mean, I think we still, and I feel like a broken record, but we still just forget like this is the small percentage. You know, it seems like every other week I meet somebody who you talk to them and and they're really into bourbon, but then you look at their collection, it's like just a Sazerac portfolio, which is fine. But I think that same person, to Ryan's point, will be looking for the next thing pretty soon, but it's got to be affordable. It's got to be accessible and, you know, you want it to look cool. So think that just that trend will continue on for the yeah, we'll see future. let's save that one for the predictions i, I think there's still a, a factor that it's missing is that there has to be tension there has to be a want or desire to get it and if it's just available on the shelf then you'll get it next time right so but we'll we'll play that into to the next one i want to keep this going with some other predictions this one was also from brian Seems Brian is a, a theme tonight with different things but this is the last one i'll put you on blast for here brian he said that there's gonna be a major move from 750 to 700 milliliter bottles, and people have to start looking for 750 milliliters online, maybe even secondary markets. Did I really say major? You did say major. You said there's going to be a major move, which Damn. really, it was really only Jack Daniels, I think, that we saw really kind of make a, a bigger shift into 700 mLs. I can't recall if it had to have been another big producer that might have done something at 700 mLs, but there definitely wasn't a huge shift in that, too. Yeah, I'll I'll take a I'll take a loss on this one. I know Woodford also went to a one liter on a lot, so it's kind of hand in hand with the seven hundred. It's you know moving to the seven hundred and the in the one liters, but nobody else is. Maybe that's maybe omniscient and that's something for future years, but definitely not major. If if that's what I said. Brian, in your defense, we did have somebody email us. I believe it's Proof and Wood does all oh, nice. seven hundred mLs, so they're tumbling dice, the all of that. So <laughs> I've got yeah, you so got it's, one more. It's on still the- not e- still not a half check, maybe not even a quarter check, but it's trust me, guys, it's coming. <laughs> we'll give it to you. <laughs> it's it, I mean to Brian's point, right? Brown Foreman had, uh, really embraced it pretty quickly, right? So Brown Foreman and their brands embraced it, and I. It's not going to be as quick of an avalanche as Brian thought, but the moment the moment Buffalo Trace is able to tap into the Asian market successfully, they will, with all those warehouses up on the hill, storing the storing the thousands of barrels of bourbon in each one, they will quickly switch to 700 to streamline production lines and get it going really quick. So brands will start doing it. It's just not going to be quick, Brian, but give it another two, three years. And you know what? Remember when Jack Daniel switched over and everyone was really pissed and, and Woodford and other brown form and things, and now it's kind of like, all right, there's no pushback. No one cares. No one cares. Yep. And Blake's got to head out. So Blake, thank you so much for tuning in tonight, buddy. We'll uh, enjoy the rest of your, your Disney. Did he say that? Or are you just kicking him off because of his audio quality? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Blake, does it, are you really going to say this counts to will, keep the streak alive? I, I, I just want to hear you say it. Oh, 100%. Right. They, they always count They you know, no matter if, 45 seconds is the cutoff. If you're here for more than 45 seconds, 
that counts for the streak. So Kyle Ripken will be here All in right, four weeks. You. Catch you guys later. I'm still convinced it's just like Thanks, a AI bot kind of was typing to talk because we can see Blake's face at all. It's just, you know. <laughs> all right. So we'll keep this going. We got a few more here. Uh, this one actually comes from Eric, and I think he kind of got this one right. And he said that as soon as the American single malt is approved by the TTB, it will make Kentucky distilleries add one to their portfolio. He was right. So we have definitely we definitely saw that happen in 2023. You had Claremont Steep. I mean, Wild Turkey, I don't think, has come out with a, a single malt yet, but we are definitely seeing that single malt train pick up. Maybe not so much here in Kentucky, but probably in different parts of the country, you are going to start seeing that happen. I think Claremont Steep coming out, right? We talked about this one before Eric came on the show. So Claremont Steep coming out was a huge win for consumers. That will be, that's from a brand that a lot of people, right? People know Jim Beam. It's priced well. It, it actually tastes really good, right? It won't be the most mind-blowing, complex single malt you ever had, but boy, is that a good American single malt. And people, because it came out from Jim Beam, they really pushed that category forward. You, you know, you're going to start seeing more and more from the majors in that single malt space. This will continue to happen, but you saw a ton of huge uptick outside of the majors. A lot more smaller distillers come out with the single malts, and if they already had one, they're really expanding their lines. You know, once this does get approval, we thought it would happen this year, but next year it'll continue to to pick up pretty good. I think, I think maybe, you know, it's cool that Beam came out. And I think though they missed it by not tying it more to Beam. You know, the most consumers don't know what Claremont even means or where it is, and so I think it just gets and it's too. It's not in the because it's a single mall. It gets pushed to the American American whiskey category, and so. I don't know. I still think single malt is going to be a tough sell. I think it'll be regional where it'll be popular. But I mean, rye whiskey still is, while it's gained in popularity, it's still way behind bourbon as a category. You know, bourbon outsells rye probably seven to one right now. And so I'd probably say bourbon outsells American single malt 20 to one. But I mean, it's definitely growing as a category. I just don't seeing it being a big market, but I think there will be a market in diff certain, diff definitely certain regions of the country. I mean, really, anyone who's a scotch drinker, though, right? Because all have a ton of friends who are scotch drinkers, they're like, oh, I don't like bourbon, don't like rye. I'm like, well, here, try this. They're like, what is it? I'm like, oh, it's an American whiskey. Just try it. It'll be a single malt, right? And I'll usually find one that's just a little bit smokier, a little bit maltier, or something like that. I'm like, oh, this is really good. What do you know? It's from this American whiskey distiller. Oh, really? It's American? Okay, cool. And like, that's their bridge to American whiskey. So it's a yeah. good bridge there. And then it just feeds people into bourbon eventually. But as soon as job, more, more so than I'd say to Ryan's point, like rye is trailing very far behind bourbon, right? I, I wouldn't surprise me one, but if American single malts just eclipse rye and slide right into that that low, but second place behind bourbon. Wow, I don't that that'll be good to talk about in January. I, I want yeah. to see if you stick to that, Jordan, because I right. I don't see malt. He is a northeastern rye. Well, that, <laughs> that, is, that is true, but malt, yeah, malt's just tough to catch on, except maybe maybe locally you know there's there's some good aged malt that came out in the past year that got a lot of attention but yeah not not so sure about the future but but good prediction eric kind it. of batting a thousand i think yeah all right let's keep going we got a little bit of time left and about two or three more here to go through so the other one was from ryan he said that mgp will lose steam because wilderness trail Bartstown Bourbon Company and Green River all have barrels hitting five to six year 
and the price range is going to be acceptable. And there's a growth of six-year-old whiskey at craft brands. So I think that probably just plays into the probably the mid-tier category getting oversaturated. I mean, it was one of those things that even this year, Smoke Wagon. I mean, remember Smoke Wagon? As soon as it hit the shelves, it was off the shelves. And now- I don't remember Smoke Wagon. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm just saying last year, this past year for Smoke Wagon, even very earlier in the year, I mean, it, it would- it was flying off the shelves and now it's, it's, it's kind of there and it's, it's kind of back into the, the realm of, you know, you got to try it before you buy it or everybody's had it and something else. And so I think that's kind of changed and that's just one of those MGP brands you've seen. I mean, I can walk around, there's a bunch of stuff of like Nulu. I mean, there's just a bunch of MGP out there too. Not to say that it's, I mean, it's, it's still great whiskey, but there's just a lot of it. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, Rare Bird says MGP ain't losing steam, but their stock price sure is. And, you know, the the only saving grace for them has been Penelope this year. That's really, I think, the only, you know, product that they're, you know, that's actually doing well for them. I think all the Luxro brands have kind of struggled. You know, if you look at control state data and whatnot, they're, it's, you know, I, I just think, you know, Indiana bourbon became acceptable. I think people just still prefer the KY. And if, you know, a a Kentucky product comes out, if you're doing them side by side, someone's going to pick Kentucky probably. Unfortunately, even though, you know, sometimes the other states are, you know, can be better. It's just people have that, that mindset. They like the herd. They want the, you know, what's safe. And to Ryan's point, how many people do you know on a daily? And I'm sure you'll see them on your tours, maybe not, maybe you have more advanced tour guests coming in. But how many people do you hear on a daily, weekly basis? Bourbon has to be made in Kentucky, right? Like that's still probably the majority of non-whiskey consumers mindset out there, right? So when they go to a store to buy something, oh, you got any Kentucky bourbon? Yeah, that over there. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. And what's what's been a fun exercise for us since we got our own places, sometimes I'll do an experiment with a group and I'll say, oh, y'all are a fun group and I'll, I'll get a barrel and I'll and now it's going to blow the surprise, but I'll have to come up with something new. But I'll pull one of our, our really good Tennessee barrels out and I'll pour it out. I'm like, here's a really good one of our good six year Kentucky bourbons. I want you all to try and that. They try like, this is amazing. And they're like, Ugh. and I go, actually, it's from Tennessee. And they're like, oh, God, <laughs> you know, it just blows their mind that that a Tennessee whiskey can taste that good. Well, yep. and. A point to to the MGP real quick, Kenny, before you move to the next one. If, if you were to put 10 wilderness trails and 10 green rivers, not the OZ Tyler stuff, but a, a get head-to-head against MGP, one of those two Kentuckys are going to win every time. So it's it's not just the KY in front of it, but particularly wilderness trail. They're just making better whiskey. Oof. All right. Yeah. Fighting birds right there. <laughs> yeah. My, my opinion. All right. So here's here's a big one that Fred had last year. Even though he wasn't on it, but he had said it in a, in a chat to me. He said that he predicted there would be a 12-year age-dated maker's mark. Well, I think he knew. <laughs> he had inside information. That's, uh, I'm calling, yeah, I'm calling bull on that. He had, he had it already. Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, seller aged came out. You know, it's been a little hit and miss considering from some of the reviewers and stuff like that but it was another exciting release that people were really looking forward to yeah it was we'll give him we'll give him credit if an, even if he had insider information. We'll, we'll give you a point we'll give you a, we'll give you, a, we'll give well, you 0.75 points 
Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> All right. So Eric had another good prediction and said that cigar batch would have been the hot word for 2023. I think that's pretty pretty true as well. He's he's still he's on fire, isn't he? I see more and more coming out with it, and it's amazing. You know, he, he's he's nailing. I don't know why he's not on more, Jordan. <laughs> that's why he's so quiet he's very analytical thinking of all the that's it that's it we wait till you see our 2024 oh predictions no, so can't wait you know we we talked about we we talked about the 2023 predictions a lot before eric came on and we just noticed like umbarana we just assumed in cigar batch was two things right one that's a really unique finish for a lot of folks and two if they don't know what Amaran is and just say cigar batch, like that intrigues a lot of people. They think whiskey, they think cigars. Cool. Two must go hand in hand together. Let's give it a shot. Right. And I think it was the, there was the it thing. It was a hundred percent it thing. Remember when honey finished barrels came out? How hot was bourbon finished in a, you know, barrel that used to hold honey, like super on fire for just that split second. Same thing with this, you know, will it continue forward at this pace? Probably not. But, um, boy, it was 2023 20, making it the new it girl. Oh, for no sure. Doubt. All right. And so our last one that we're going to get to was, of course, acquisitions. And myself, Ryan and Blake, we all said Penelope. So checkbox. We we got that one right. Uh, Blake had mentioned Southern Distilling out of North Carolina. I don't think that one came through. Eric had mentioned Barrel and Westward, which both didn't happen. So uh, he had another year. And I was actually talking to Fred earlier and I said, here we go. I think we're four, four or five years in a row now where Four Roses has still not been sold <laughs> or whatever. But Brian had actually predicted thinking that there was going to be more consolidation of big brands like Pernod Ricard having too many. It might have flipped somebody like Rabbit Hole to somebody else. So something else. And I'm missing all over the place. Well, Penelope felt like an easy one. I think everybody kind of saw the rise of what they were doing and they were they were definitely captivating the minds and getting the mind share. And you saw I couldn't think of anybody on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok that didn't have Penelope bottles in their background. So that was you kind you kind of saw the momentum happening for that one. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. Guys, that's going to be it. That was our predictions from 2023. I think we we got a few of them right. We we of course we get a few of them wrong every once in a while, but that is the fun part about it. And I'm looking forward to seeing what we all have in store next month when we give our 2024 predictions. Damn, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to wait a whole month. I want to do it now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to take the breaking (laughs) approach here and actually think about my predictions. So don't get blasted on these. We'll send you a consulting call fee. We got you, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to actually spend more than 10 minutes brainstorming next time instead of being like, oh, Penelope acquired. Yeah. We're, that was wait, easy, we're 10 right? minutes before BCR? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right, but that's going to do it for this one. I want to say thank you, everybody that was on the chat being a part of this. But Jordan, go ahead and give a quick sign off. Yeah, Jordan from Breaking Bourbon. Thrilled to be here once again. Really happy you're pleased with that number one whiskey of the year. You're just slipping on Kenny and see you guys in 2024. Yes. And Brian. All right. Brian with the sipping corn. I, I look forward to a big 2024 with you guys. I have to say my only disappointment tonight is I'm the only one with the Christmas sweater. It's it's my UK Christmas sweater that when we do the ugly sweater parties at U of L fans houses. I wear this because they think it's ugly and I'm still wearing my UK stuff. So cheers everybody. 
Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you again, guys, for being on here. Thank you, everybody that was in the chat. We had a lot of good chatter going on. People were already dropping their 2024 predictions. I can't wait to see what people think next month. I just love being able to kind of do a look back in a year and see exactly what we got right, what we get wrong. It was a big year. There's a lot of things that did happen. American whiskey and, and bourbon, of course, made a lot of big moves, a lot of headway in regards of even putting more stuff on the market than probably people wanted to drink. So we'll have to see exactly what's going to happen in 24, how our brands and how our companies and how our consumers going to change uh, going into it and what do we see it's going to happen as well. And and how are you going to continue to capture the, the attention of everybody that's out there? It's going to be really hard to do predictions because I feel like this year the consumers changed every three months. Like once a quarter, it was like they went on this, then they went on that. And it's like, it's like, it's crazy. But yeah, some whiplash. Looking forward to it. And everyone listening, have a Merry Christmas. Enjoy time with your family. This is a special time of the year just to reflect back, hang with your family, look back on the year, look at all the things you're grateful for. It's my favorite time of the year just to hang with family and, and, and you know, really just focus on all the good things in life. So I'm thankful for everyone and all you all. And Kenny, I'm sure you'll close us out. So I'm thankful for you too, Ryan. Man, you you can't close out after that. I mean, that's <laughs> no. You got to end on that. Yeah, had to end on it. That's the end. We're we're done, guys. Oh, toodles. It is. <laughs> Cheers, Bye, everyone. We'll see you next month. <laughs> <laughs>